Welcome in. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me once again. So, here we are. Notre Dame has reached and exceeded every single preseason goal placed in front of it this year. Undefeated season, type of win we haven't seen in almost 30 years. Senior quarterback playing the best football of his life at the most exact perfect time. Number two in the polls for six plus weeks, no matter what happens the next month. 2020 is going to be labeled a success for Notre Dame football to a certain degree. The big question now is, to what degree is 2020 going to be remembered as a success for Notre Dame football? Okay, The next month's going to show us where we are on the mountain climb up to trying to reach elite college football status. Was beating Clemson the peak or just a step on the ascent to where we want to go to bigger and better things? We're about to find out. Notre Dame's in a fantastic position right now, and they've earned it. But to reach these upper-level goals, we still need to get better. We still need to be sharper. There's three more games to win against three good teams, no matter who it's against. How far can Notre Dame take this? 2020 has already been an incredibly bizarre, weird year across the board. Notre Dame can make it much, much weirder. Are they capable of it? What does this Clemson rematch look like? What's happening with Clark Lee? There's a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Let's go. We talk about respect. We talk about respect around the country. One thing that we want more than anything else, and that's respect. Welcome to the Always Irish Show. A whole lot of Notre Dame football and a little bit of everything else. You want to hitch up your child and say, hey, baby, here I am now. Let me see you run through me now. And now your host, you know him as the football Floyd that's often annoyed, here's Johnny. That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to an ACC title game edition of the Always Irish Show. That just sounds so weird to say. I never thought I'd be in a position to say that, but here we are, okay? So, YouTube, obviously you could find me by typing in Always Irish. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up if you like the video. It all helps us in the search metrics area. I do appreciate it. Twitter, at... JKZND4, or just type in the search bar, always Irish. I will pop right up. Emails, always irishnd at gmail.com. I think I've gotten back to almost everybody so far. And I do have a funny email I'm going to address in a few minutes. Audio only, you could find me. Like, share, subscribe, review. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction, okay? The merchandise link is below in the description. Hit that up if you desire. Okay, and the bumper music, that is not a random sample. That is music by good friend, loyal Notre Dame, diehard fan, Brendan McGrath, stuck out there in Hollywood and USC territory. Check out his music, brendanmcgrathmusic.com. Check him out. Loyal Notre Dame fan, greatly talented musician, stuck in USC land. Ooh. Okay, so go check him out, support him. Thank you for the bumper, Brendan. I do appreciate it. So let's get into this. We have a lot to go over. Okay, so first things first is uh, Notre Dame's gone through a run of a bunch of just bad stuff lately. First off, Zach Plants, Tyler Plants' brother, died in a car accident on Thanksgiving. We need to keep them in our thoughts and prayers. Taylor Dever, fine. Not that old. Notre Dame player recently passed away. And then you have Irish Chocolate, Lewis Nix, getting shot, putting air in his tires. Just Notre Dame family, that's what we're about. Keep all these families, all these people in your prayers and in your thoughts as we move forward. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that right away so I don't forget it, okay? Um, next, I got this email over the weekend and it made me laugh. And it was genuine. The guy was not being sarcastic. And he just said, I've been listening to you for three years now. 
And I've noticed this year, you seem to be a lot more calm than you were in previous years. Have you mellowed out? Have you changed? Here's my answer to that. We haven't lost any games. That's it. I haven't changed. I just have less to yell about. When you're undefeated, you're nitpicking stuff of where you could be undefeated and better. That's the only difference. We're undefeated this year. So I don't I'm, I don't have anything to be mad about. Even if you lose a game and then win a bunch in a row, losing that one game carries over. I never get over it. I'm one of those people who hates losing way more than I ever get any joy out of winning. That's just how I've always been. Winning is an expectation. So you win and it's not, unless it's a championship, winning to me is just a relief you did what you were supposed to do. So no, I haven't mellowed out or changed. We just haven't lost yet. So I don't have anything to be that mad at this year. It's just nitpicking where we could get better. So that made me laugh. Okay, so let's let's get into this. First things first with the news, Clark Lee's going to Vandy. So we knew this was coming. We had time to prepare for it. It just hurts. It just sucks. Like it's we go over it all the time with Clark Lee. It's great and crappy to be in this position. It's really good to have a coach that good to get the on-field results that we're getting. The downside of it is you're this good, then people are going to come calling. So this just really sucks, and the timing of it really sucks because this transition would hurt a lot less if we didn't have everything on the line that we have on the line right now. Okay, so the question with him taking the Vanderbilt job is, the number one question is, is he going to stick around till Notre Dame's season is over or is he just going to leave now? Leaving now is a real problem. Now you're messing up a lot of stuff. If he just said, I, I just can't do it, I need to focus on, on Vandy, if he up and left now, that's a bad scenario. Now you got a lot of moving parts in transition. That's, that's not a good outcome. So even if he stays, there's some things about this we have to talk about. So let's say he took the job and the agreement with Vanderbilt is that he's going to ride it out with Notre Dame till the season's over as far as that goes, hopefully deep into the playoff. Fine. Let's say that's the scenario we're operating under right now. Brian Kelly says this won't be a distraction Listen, I, I, the guy who went and interviewed for the Eagles job and, it, and all the news broke right before the title game in 2012 is telling me it's not a distraction. I don't believe you. No, I don't believe you. There's no way you could tell me it's not a distraction. Have me believe you, Mr. Eagle man. No way, okay? So I don't care what anybody tells me going back to 2012. The off-the-field narratives of Brian Kelly interviewing with the Eagles right before the title game and the Manti Teo story that was getting ready to blow up and embarrass Notre Dame. Both of those things impacted what was going on in 2012. Now, let me be very clear about this. There was nothing that could be done in 2012 that was going to make Notre Dame beat Alabama. That was men versus boys. But to say the behind-the-scenes stuff with Kelly and Teo had nothing to do with it, I don't. I just don't believe you. I can't put a percentage on it. I don't think that if none of that was going on behind the scenes, it would have changed the outcome against Alabama. I'm not saying that. To a certain degree, this stuff matters. Practically, emotionally, interpersonally, Whatever you want to say, there's no way it can't have any impact and not matter at all. Business as usual. I just don't agree with that. Okay. So what I think is, I think, here's where I think this matters. 
if you're Clark Lee and you just accepted the Vanderbilt job and and it comes with the agreement that you're going to stay and coach out the rest of the way at Notre Dame, fine. There's no way you could tell me that's not a distraction to Clark Lee. Clark Lee's got to be on the phone putting together his own staff at Vanderbilt. Clark Lee's got to worry about the recruiting at Vanderbilt. Clark Lee's got to worry about his next step, putting an entire program together. He's got to be doing all that now at the same window he's prepping Notre Dame's defense. Just as a human, how you divide out the time of your responsibilities, this is going to impact it. There's no way it couldn't. Clark Lee does not have the luxury to take the Vanderbilt job and then say, I'm going to call timeout, and then when Notre Dame season's done, then I'll start putting together a staff, worrying about the Vanderbilt recruiting cycle, all that kind of stuff. That ain't how it works. He's going to be doing double duty from now till the end, putting together all the Vanderbilt stuff and writing this part out with Notre Dame. So, no, I don't think he's just not going to try anymore at Notre Dame because he got the job he wanted. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a human with all these tasks in front of you, he's got a lot on his plate now and it's natural and I don't blame him for thinking about his next gig where he's the main guy. So for that reason, there's no way anybody could tell me it's not a distraction, especially Brian Kelly, who interviewed for the Eagles a few days before Notre Dame played in the championship game, and it was all over the headlines and everything else. There's no way. I know that team was affected by that headline and the Manti Teo situation leading into Alabama in 2012. Not enough to change the outcome of the game, but to some extent, all that stuff mattered, and our guys were thinking about it. The Manti stuff, those guys knew. Those teammates knew something's up with this. I don't think they knew exactly what the deal was, but they were uneasy about it and knew about it, and it was coming downhill fast, and it was ugly, and it was an embarrassment for the whole program, not just for him. So for Brian Kelly to say it's not going to be a distraction, I don't believe you. When he did it, it was a distraction. This is too. Time-wise for Clarkley, it's a distraction. He's got to worry about Vanderbilt and coaching us. It's dividing his time further. That's a distraction. There's no way anybody's going to tell me it's not. It's a good problem to have. You got a coordinator this hot. People come calling. This is the downside, okay? Here's what else worries me. The timing of all this, I've already heard today there's at least one defensive recruit already rethinking their decision to come to Notre Dame because Clark Lee's no longer going to be there. It's just, it sucks, but there's nothing you could do about it, guys. There's nothing you could do about it. This is just how this stuff goes. So right before early signing days, a rough time to have this happen. I know of already one guy who's having some issues with this, rethinking the Notre Dame commitment. Okay, so This situation is what it is. You just got to make the most out of it. But to say it's not a distraction is a lie. There's just no physical way it isn't, okay? Um, In terms of future defensive coordinators, we're not going to turn this into that episode when we have this big game and hopefully the playoffs in front of us. I'm just going to throw this out there. Freeman, Hazleton, Heacock, if you're staying in-house, Elston, those are all kind of guys that come into my mind. We will talk about that later. Now is not the time for that discussion, um, but we will have to have it, okay? So that news out of the way, let's sit back for a minute and look at where we're at, where we want to go, and what it looks like moving forward, okay? So number one, obviously, is the chance to 100% own and troll the ACC, and also, in a way, Notre Dame winning this game would troll all conferences. It's the ultimate middle finger to conferences for for Notre Dame to pull this off, okay? So, the idea 
that we don't have to win this game to make the playoff is one that we're not used to at all. It provides a bit of comfort to know it's not all do or die against Clemson in a handful of days. But everybody needs to understand losing to Clemson makes the rest of this path more difficult, okay? So here's how I see this. If Notre Dame loses to Clemson, no matter how close or how bad, well, if it's really, really bad, they could kick us out altogether. But I don't see that happening. Us getting blown out would be the least likely scenario I see out of all the possible for the this game. Just solely built on one factor. Up front, we prove we could play with them in the first game. So for that reason alone, I think a blowout against Notre Dame is the least likely scenario here to happen based on that physicality we showed, okay? But here's what I see. If Notre Dame loses, no matter how close, I'm afraid this committee will drop us to four meaning we will play Alabama round one. You guys, Alabama is not losing to Florida, especially looking at, at what they did against LSU. Alabama is not losing to Florida, so just I'm just going to forget that as a scenario because I just do not see it happening at all. So if we lose, I think it's very realistic. We drop all the way to four based on recency bias loss, and then you match up with Alabama round one, which is not the matchup I would want round one. I would want anybody except Alabama round one. Okay. So you could argue, and I would argue, that I think even if Notre Dame loses and they're 10 and one, if you want to let Ohio State in, fine. But I think them being number four, only having six games, should be their punishment penalty. Like, if you want in and you have a handful less of games played than these other teams, there has to be a penalty for that. So I think we should let them in, but no matter what happens with Notre Dame, I think Ohio State should be fourth because they have the lowest body of work and should theoretically have the most to have to prove. So I think their penalty should be you're in, but you're number four. And of course, the caveat I've already agreed to, which is I never want to hear anybody argue about Notre Dame's lack of a 13th game if we're letting in a team that only has six games. So if that's the gentleman's agreement we're going to have, I think Ohio State's penalty for only having six games should be your number four. Good luck against Alabama. Let's see what you could do. Okay. The other thing I don't know about, and I've gone back and forth on this in my own mind is, I don't know what this committee's appetite for a Notre Dame-Clemson rematch would be for a third game. I don't know. Maybe, let's just say this one this Saturday is another epic game and Clemson wins it at the end and Notre Dame doesn't this time. Then you would have two instant classics with Notre Dame-Clemson. Then maybe the committee would do the old switcheroo two and three and then Notre Dame and Clemson can play again. I don't know, though. I don't know, though. Okay? So maybe if it's so exciting uh, with the first two, there is an appetite to schedule it again as the second and third team, Ohio State fourth. And then Notre Dame and Clemson redo it again for the third one. It'd be 1-1. One, one. This is the tiebreaker, all the marbles. Maybe they're open to that and like that. If they're not open to that, that's where I get a little bit nervous. They're going to drop us to four. You got to play Alabama right away. So long story short, Notre Dame, win this game. Win this game. Then here's the other thing. Say Notre Dame wins. Clemson's out. So does that put, they would have two losses, so they're out. Would that move Ohio State to three? Because even if Notre Dame wins and looks impressive, I don't think we're going to overtake Alabama for number one. Even though Alabama hasn't really beaten anybody that good, and even if they beat Florida in the SEC title game, I don't think Florida's that good. But I just I don't know what this committee's going to do. 
I I think they should lock Ohio State as number four if they're in no matter what. I I do. But if Notre Dame wins, does that put Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio State three, Texas A&M four? Because the more favorable matchup for Notre Dame would be to beat Clemson. They do put Ohio State at four as a penalty for six games and then put A&M or somebody there. I'd rather play A&M in that first game than I would Ohio State. So I just don't know how they're going to play this. I'm just afraid no matter how good of a game if we lose, that's the excuse they need to bump us to four. You play Alabama first. I don't like the odds on that. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know. Here's the other thing I mentioned. I mentioned last week, I said, just wait till USC people are wanting the same treatment as Ohio State people with their undefeated, having played nobody with half a schedule. Sure enough, here we are. So USC is now 5-0, and playing five teams that are not good. Three of those games, USC needed last-minute drives to win against three nobodies, three teams that are not good at all. But here they are undefeated sitting at 5-0, and and the BSPN playoff predictor has them as a coin flip 50-50 chance. I, You guys, I don't get it. I just don't understand the, the philosophical argument here. I don't understand it. If you want to give me Ohio State and their recent history and what they've done as a program, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I can get down with that philosophically to a certain extent. Doing it for USC, there's no freaking way. They haven't played anybody good. They don't have big brand, big game credibility lately. Three come from behind wins in the last drive against three bad teams. No. So ESPN as USC as a coin flip to make the playoff, I, do, I just don't see it. They do not have the credibility Ohio State has. They're not going to have that built in. So I am not worried about that with them the way I am Ohio State. Okay. So I, I just, I don't see that happening. So what's our worst case scenario for Notre Dame? It's a blowout. And I, it's the least likely scenario. But if Clemson somehow blows out Notre Dame, I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of, I, I, I don't know. You just don't give the committee the power to do that. Don't, because I don't trust them. They could do something really silly and really outside of the box if Notre Dame gets blown out. So don't give the committee a chance to do it. I do think it's the least likely outcome. Just don't give them the opportunity to bump us totally out, okay? You just can't afford to do that. So, while Notre Dame does enter championship weekend with flexibility, it'd be best to just not need it and win this game. Yes, for the troll job it'd be for all time, but also because of what it sets up in the playoff. Even if you had to play Ohio State round one in a 2-3 matchup or something, you just want to avoid Alabama week one or, le- or game one. At least I do. Okay, Here's the other thing I don't get about this. I've seen a ton of people tweeting about Clemson's chance to make the playoff if they lose to Notre Dame. That's not even a real thing to me. The odds of that are zero. Nothing. Nothing. I've seen a bunch of these tweets over the weekend. Oh, what's the committee going to do with the two-loss Clemson? They're out. There's nothing to think about. They're out. They have a 0% chance if they lose to us again. So I don't know where that started. Even the genesis of that idea. But to me, that's a non-factor. If they lose again, they're out 100%. I'm not even going to give it another thought. So that's what I think about that. So best case scenario, win this game, bump Clemson out, end up with Ohio State or Texas A&M probably in that 2-3 matchup. Worry about Alabama in the title game if you make it that far. Most realistic scenario, if you lose this game and it's competitive, 
I do think they're going to drop you to four. You play Alabama. Avoid it by winning the game. Okay. Now, let's move on to the actual game. Okay, so here's where I want to start. Let's first start by talking about pressure. The pressure in this ball game, undoubtedly, I think, in my opinion, is 100% on Clemson. Listen, they don't want to lose the ACC crown. They don't want to get punked by us and also don't want to get knocked out of the playoff. You really think Clemson wants to hear for the rest of time that they own the ACC till Notre Dame joined one year and knocked them off and left? So you could damn sure bet they're feeling that and they're going to be ready to go. And I like the fact that we're going to get their best. I like the fact their quarterback's going to be back. So no matter what happens, that can't be used as a way to denigrate what happens in the game or question anything. That's what we should want is their best shot, okay? But the pressure's all on Clemson. They have no margin for error left. They lose this game. They're out of the playoff. No questions asked. So that's good in a way that all the pressure's on them. But understand and recognize Dabo, his staff, Lawrence, they've all been big game playoff battle tested. They will not fold due to this. But I just think it's worth noting the pressure's on their side. It's win or you're out for them, okay? So they got a good staff. They make good adjustments. Lawrence is battle-tested. He's won before. He knows what it takes. So you're going to get their best, and I'm here for it. I embrace it. I want it, okay? It's also worth noting Clemson's schedule just went to nothing, with what North Carolina did destroying Miami. That's Clemson's only notable win, and it just got thrown in the garbage. That was their only big win since they lost to us, and it just got shredded into the toilet by what North Carolina did to them. And by default, Notre Dame's win over North Carolina just got raised in profile a lot. So those developments helped Notre Dame as well, okay? So, overall, though, Notre Dame has to play better in this ball game. I know we played well last time, but we need to be even better this time because I'm counting on Clemson being better this time, both with the return of Lawrence and getting back some defensive players that were out for the first matchup, okay? So, let's go through some important factors here. Mental physical preparation. A long time complaint of mine when it comes to Brian Kelly prepping the guys for these big time games, emotionally and physically. That's been a long time complaint. However, we came out 100% ready in the first ball game. Okay. I love to see it. It's exactly what I've been asking for. We got it that night. How do we replicate that emotional and mental and physical preparation? Okay. One thing is, I have heard that some of these practices aren't even Clemson specific. They're more getting back to fundamentals, staying crisp and doing all that stuff. I'm totally fine with that. Okay. So I do like to hear that we're getting back to fundamentals to some degree. Okay. We came out 100% ready for game one. We were crisp. We were fast. We were pumped up. We were sharp. We were ready to go. Obviously, we will need that again. That foundation needs to be there or this could turn into a 2018 avalanche on your ass before you know it in in a big time moment, okay? So whatever Brian Kelly did, to navigate the game preparation from a mental and physical uh, motivational standpoint worked. How do you bottle it, replicate it, do whatever you got to do? It worked, but for anything else we're going to go over in this episode to matter, this part has to be nailed again. You got to come ready in that zone you were in for the first 
game or the rest of this stuff ain't going to matter. So we need to come out ready again. Okay? Here's the thing about that. Since that Clemson game, I don't really feel like we've necessarily started that hot and in sync and all that stuff, but we've had time to overcome it, adjust, or whatever. Fine. Fine. But for this, you got to be ready. So whatever happened the last handful of games, whatever, let down a big game moment coming off it the next week, whatever it is, got to be ready again. Okay, here's the next part of this. The next part of this is the hot start that we had in game one with Kyron Williams taking that long run to the house. Okay. You do not want to play from behind against Clemson, especially Clemson with Lawrence under center. That's a bad position to be in. You do not want to do it. I don't think Notre Dame can afford to do it. Okay. You don't want to shoot out with Lawrence. A fast start is key here for two reasons. One is, hopefully a fast start would help you dictate the game flow, kind of control it, slow it down, more of a ball control. Notre Dame wants to run the ball, eat some clock. You start out fast, you could dictate that game flow a little bit, okay? Here's the other reason I like a fast start. If you get off to a fast start at, at as Notre Dame game two, that should help eliminate the absolute worst case scenario, which is getting blown out by Clemson, maybe missing the playoff, or at a minimum, at least you're guaranteed to play Alabama 1-4 right away. Okay, so the fast start would help you dictate and control game flow and hopefully win it. Also, if Notre Dame got off to a fast start, even if Clemson came back, theoretically, this eliminates the blowout scenario, which is the only way I think Notre Dame gets left out of the playoff. Okay, so setting that tone early again would be huge. That is a huge factor to me of whether or not we're going to pull this off. How do you start? Notre Dame's got to start hot, in my opinion, again. Come ready to play again. Getting behind a couple scores against Clemson with Lawrence, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. You can't afford to be there. Don't allow yourself to be there. That's a bad scenario. Can't happen. Okay? So, here's the other thing. The biggest question mark I and a lot of us had going into Notre Dame-Clemson version one was, can Notre Dame physically match up on both fronts with Clemson? We already know that we can because we did. Not only that, you could say we pretty much, I don't want to say dominated, but we won the line of scrimmage overall that night. I don't think that part's up for debate. So knowing we can hang with them physically opens up a lot of things we could do in this ball game. Okay? So then it becomes more of a tactical thing, how you're going to play it, how they're going to play it, how's Brent Venables going to adjust to what happened the first time, how's Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly going to adjust to their adjustment. Then you're getting into that chess match. But at a minimum, I have confidence knowing physically we can hang with them on both sides of the line. That's a damn good place to start going into one of these type environments and ball games. Here's the other thing. It just seems to me the farther away we get from November 7th, the less credit Notre Dame's getting for that ball game. And I don't know why that's the case. That's just kind of what I feel looking at social media, reading and seeing what people are saying. There's a lot of people picking Clemson. 14-point win, 17-point win, 21-point win over Notre Dame. A lot of people are picking this game that way. I think this, this group of Notre Dame guys feeds off that. I think they like it. I think that gets them going. Use it. Use it. 
Use it, use it, use it as motivation that nobody's picking Notre Dame to, to win this rematch. Use that as an advantage. Okay, so here's what I want to target now. This is really interesting because this game is a rematch. I want to focus on a handful of things defensively and then a handful of things offensively that I want you guys to have in your minds as we approach this ball game. These are just the things I think are most important. Here's number one for the defense. This wasn't on my notes till today, but apparently I have to add it. Win one for the Gipper, right? If this is it for Clark Lee and he's out of here after this run, that could be the motivating factor. He's turned a lot of these guys into NFL prospects, a award-winning defense. That needs to be the rallying cry. It can't be depression because we're losing our coach we love. It has to turn into motivation. We're going to go out and win it for this guy. So I wasn't expecting that to be on this list, but now that that's the only way this can go. It can't be, oh, we're all sad in the meeting room because Clark's gone. It has to be... We're going to go win this all for this guy that's made our future NFL careers possible or whatever it is. So that's a part of this now. And I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be, but that's a piece of this. Okay. Next, here's the other thing. Notre Dame must be great defending the run again or forget it. Like, not good, not okay. They need to be great defending the run again, or I don't see us winning this ballgame. I don't see how it's possible to win this ballgame. If Lawrence is back and we're not doing a good job on the run, forget it, okay? So we gave up like 30-something yards rushing to Clemson in the first game. It would be the miracle of all miracles to hold them to that number again. But I think you, you're you targeting under 100 you could live with, barely over 100 you could live with. But if they get the running game going at all, this is going to be a long afternoon for Notre Dame. Almost forget it, I'll say. So that's number one. All the talk about Lawrence, him coming back, and all the receivers they have, oh, I, I get it. But if Notre Dame isn't great against the run again, we're not going to win this game. So even with Lawrence back, priority number one is stopping ETN in the run game, no matter what, 100%. That's priority number one. We did a great job of it game one. We need a repeat performance of that game too. Okay. Now, an extension of that is spying on Lawrence. I'm already having nightmares of him. They, I'm t I keep telling you guys this. Watch their film. They run those flow run plays to the left side of the line, to ETN or the other guy I'm forgetting his name. Everybody's moving that way. They hand it off. ETN does what he does. They do that. They do that. They do that. And then one of those times... When all the defense is moving that way, he's going to fake the handoff, tuck it, pull it, take it around the edge, and if you don't have contain, there he goes. And for 6-5, it doesn't take him three or four steps. He's 15 yards down the field. So when I say being good against the run, yes, somebody needs to spy ETN wherever he is. I need to make sure we have edge contain on Lawrence, pulling it, keeping it, and escaping around the edge. They're going to do that in this game. We didn't see much of it with DJU. They are going to try and use Lawrence to spark and add to the run game, which they already know Notre Dame's pretty good at defending. He gives them a different element with the running game. I have no appetite to watch him run it around the edge for 20 yards because all the Notre Dame defenders are sucked to where the other plays were going. I have zero patience or tolerance for it. You know why, guys? I'm an amateur dummy, and I see them doing this week to week on all their film. There's no way 
Notre Dame and Clark Lee doesn't know this is coming. Somebody needs to seal the edge, and if Lawrence rolls out and starts running, knock the shit out of him. Legally, but knock the shit out of him. Edge contain is everything with him doing that. I'm going to lose it the first time he escapes out there. There's nobody there. He gets 18 yards and then steps out of bounds and nobody even hits him. I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Don't let it happen, okay? So even with Lawrence back, stopping the run is number one priority no matter what to me. I don't care what anybody else says. That's number one, okay? Moving on. You got to get pressure on Lawrence in passing situations. John, that's boring. That goes for any football game. Yeah, I know. But it's especially true here. Okay, so far this year, he's 75% completion percentage with no pressure. He goes down to 35% when pressured. 35-75. Big difference. With the talented receivers he's got, if you let him stand back there and pick and go through his progressions, it ain't going to be pretty for Notre Dame. Pressure, 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 hit him, hit him, hit him, pressure. 75% completion when not pressured, 35% when pressured. He's human, just like any other quarterback. You feel guys breathing down your neck. You make decisions faster than you want to make them. You make mistakes, okay? Pressure. Next. You know with the skill guys they have, they're going to hit on some plays. Here's my biggest thing. You can't give up a chunk run for 80 yards up the gut, kind of like what we did to them with Kyron Williams early in the first game. That can't happen. We cannot allow that. Additionally, there's nothing more frustrating than when Notre Dame puts together like a nine-minute methodical drive, 12, 15 plays, you know, and everything goes well enough. You convert some third downs. Took eight or nine minutes, but you get it in the end zone. Give it back to the other team. And then they hit a 60-yard pass on you, and they have the same amount of points as you, and it took them one minute. Okay? Notre Dame can't give up these huge chunk. You can't give up the 60-yard pass over your head for the touchdown to Powell. You cannot give that up. Notre Dame needs to make Clemson earn everything they get. Everything they get. Make them work it all the way down the field. You can't give them these freebie, cheap, easy, quick scores. You cannot. So limit those chunk plays in both the run game and the pass game. Kyle Hamilton, I need you to be everywhere at the same time. I need you not allowing those passes to go over your head, okay? Here's the other thing, you guys. We did what we did, played good, and won that ball game. What are the odds Notre Dame could give up 439 passing yards again and win a game again? I do not think the odds on that are very good. So you can't allow 439 passing yards again. I know we won. Had we not won, I would have been losing my mind saying, how do you give up 439 yards to a backup even though he's a five-star and we all know he's really, really good? That would have been my question. So you can't give up no 439 yards again. So everybody needs to understand that. That was kind of an anomaly that we were able to give up the most amount of passing yards against Notre Dame of all time and still win the ball game. So you can't do that again. Pressure, 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 pressure. And I actually think our defensive front has actually dialed it up even more than they did and been better than they were in the Clemson game lately. I need that to continue. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Okay? Here's the other thing. Notre Dame got a couple, what you could say, 
are borderline fluky turnovers and still barely beat Clemson, okay? You cannot count on a handoff or half pitch bouncing off ETN right into our guy's hands for an easy touchdown. You can't count on that twice. The other fumble we got, I've watched it again. There's a pretty good argument. That guy didn't contain the ball and was running, and we they gave us credit for the fumble. You could have called in an incomplete pass too. So I don't think you can count on just getting those little fluky things against the same team twice in the same year. So you got to go make your own moves. Be opportunistic. Do the peanut punch. Punch the ball out. Try and get Lawrence in some uncomfortable positions with what you do with your coverages, disguising some stuff, moving guys around. Listen, you can't just do exactly what you did the first time. Clemson's staff is too good for that. Clemson's staff is too battle-tested to just let us have the same game plan and let it work. So you got to get creative, mix up some coverages, disguise some coverages, disguise some blitz packages. You got to do some things different, okay? This game, to me, is about adjustments and then adjusting off the adjustments. It changes things when you play a team twice in college. This isn't the pros where everybody's used to facing a divisional opponent twice, okay? Adjustments off the adjustments made are what's going to dictate this game to me to a large extent, okay? I do not expect Lawrence to throw for more yards than DJU, but I do expect him to be more accurate and efficient in critical situations, and I expect him to be a factor in the run game, okay? You don't want this to become a track meet if you're Notre Dame. You do not want to get into a score fest against Lawrence. That doesn't favor Notre Dame. Notre Dame needs to dictate the tempo, the rhythm, and the flow of this ball game. Go figure, guys. It all starts up front. All of it starts up front. Notre Dame's got to be as strong, if not stronger, in that category on both sides of the ball to win this game. Okay, so let's move over to the offensive side of the ball. So here's the easiest way to put it. Clemson's defense is going to be improved compared to what we saw and faced the first time around. What does that mean? That means our offense has to improve because it was barely enough to get the job done before. I'm expecting them to be even better. We need to be even better, okay? So here's how I would approach this. If I'm Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese putting together the game plan here, I would be thinking the way Brent Venables is thinking. Notre Dame can't just run the same stuff and figure it's going to work out the same. Brent Venables is way too smart and good good at his job to allow that to happen. So get that in your minds right away. Notre Dame's not going to be able to figure. We'll just do the same thing we did before and have the same success. Clemson's staff is too smart for that, too battle-tested for that. Brent Venables is considered probably the best defensive coordinator in college football for a reason. Adjusting like situations like this is a part of that evaluation. Okay, so yes, the basic tenets of what Notre Dame did well should still apply. But you're going to have to mix up some things because they're way too smart to get beat twice by you running the same stuff. So everybody's got to realize that, okay? That being said, you got to be able to run the ball well again, like control time of possession, run the ball, be able to get some five, six, seven yards on first down to open everything else on second and third. That's got to apply. You got to do that again. How you do it is where it might have to change a little bit to adjust to their adjustments, Okay, so that's how I would be putting together this plan. If I'm Reese, 
I would look at what we did that worked. Then I would say, if I'm Venables, what would I do to try and stop this and adjust off that? That's how I would approach this. And if you notice they're not adjusting, then you could always go back to the basic scheme and structure that worked the first time. But, but the way I would go into this is, if I'm Venables, what would I do different? Okay? So that's how I would process it. So obviously you're going to have to be able to run the ball, control the clock, time of possession. That goes without stating. And here's the thing, guys. I think to a large extent, we should be able to do that a little bit because the physicality isn't going to change. We were able to do it before, it's not like they got a whole bunch of new players and they're, and they're going to be able to totally stop our run game. If we were that physical before it could run the ball, we should be able to do it again to some successful extent here, even with the changes at offensive line. Yeah, that hurts not having Patterson out there. It's going to hurt. Got to overcome it, okay? So running the ball, controlling time of possessions, number one. Two, Ian Book has to continue to be great. It can't be good. It can't be average. He's got to be great to win this game again, okay? Hit the throws you can hit, but the most important thing I need Ian Book to do again is keep extending plays with his legs. I love it the way he's getting out of the pocket, rolling out, but not crossing the line of scrimmage, making the defender have to make the decision. Do I come up to guard him as a runner? Do I drop back into coverage because he's going to throw it? You got the defense, deer in a headlights at that moment. That's where you could do whatever you decide to do. So Ian Book has to be great, protect the football, hit the throws he's hitting, make the good reads on when to keep it, when to bail, when to throw it, all that stuff. Ian Book has to continue to play great. Not good, not okay, not pretty good, great. He's got to keep doing that. Also, we need the wide receivers and tight ends to continue to ball out the way they're doing, okay? And that doesn't just include getting open, making plays, throwing it to Mayer. It also includes their blocking, One of the main reasons Notre Dame was able to score 47 points against Clemson the first time around was the way the backs and the tight ends picked up Clemson's blitzes when they brought pressure. We did a terrific job picking up those blitzes, and it I'll say it's one of the biggest factors that made us win the game. Need to do it again, and I expect some of those blitzes to come out of disguise packages, things different than what we saw the first time. Got to be able to pick it up. So when I talk about receivers and tight ends, it isn't just catching the ball and getting open. A big portion of this is picking up those blitzes to give Book time. Did a great job the first time around. Got to do it again here, okay? The next piece is, and this goes for any ball game, but your big third down conversions, that kind of the stuff, what were we? My sheet keeps moving here. Seven for 10 on third down and four and less in the first matchup. That's an unbelievable clip against a defense as skilled and talented as this one. Seven out of 10 we were on third and fourth or less. Got to be in that percentage again. Overall on third downs, 10 and 19 overall in that ball game, going to need a high percentage like that again. Almost 50%, that's pretty good against a defense like Clemson's. You're going to have to be there again. So you got to be in position where you could comfortably convert those downs, okay? The next thing is the red zone. Notre Dame cannot move it between the 20s, get in the red zone, settle for field goals. You're not going to beat Lawrence doing that. You're not, okay? Now, here's the good news. We scored 47 points against them last time, and we had a fumble going into the end zone. We had a false start on the one-yard line going into score, 
and we had an incomplete pass that would have uh, inside the re- inside the ten yard line as well. So Notre Dame left a bunch of points on the board in the red zone the first time and still won the game. I don't think you could do that again. So the good news is we won the game before, and I could argue we left 14 to 17 points on the board just by our own silly mistakes. A false start when you're going in to score on their doorstep, you just can't have it. That's a touchdown, should have been on the board. Ian Book, that's a touchdown, should have been on the board, okay? Skoronek drops a, a pass right there for a first down going into score, all that stuff. So it's good because there's still meat left on the bone. It's it's not like I say, we played perfect the first game offensively. We can't get better. That's not true, okay? So in the red zone, you got to score seven. Three is not good enough to beat Trevor Lawrence. It's just not, Okay. No turnovers, that goes without saying. You cannot hand Trevor Lawrence extra possessions. So you just can't do it. Don't even think about it. Can't do it, okay? So that's kind of what I see offensively. Now, if you got a couple tricks up your sleeve, you might pick a spot you want to do it in this game. Play it out, see if you have to or not. But if you have one of those and you think you need it, this might be the time to use it because I don't remember much trickeration being needed in the first game. If you need it, pick your spots, hit it big while the getting's good, okay? No dumb penalties. You just, you, all that extra hidden yardage, you just can't have it in this game and expect to beat a team this good. Notre Dame's got to win the high leverage plays. Red zone situations on both sides of the ball. Third down situations on both sides of the ball. Those high leverage plays, we got to win more of them than they win. That's how you win a big ball game with between two very, very good teams. The most encouraging part is I don't feel like we played close to our best game against Clemson. We won it. That's encouraging to me. That shows there's still room for growth for this team this year. That's very encouraging going into this kind of situation. Okay? High stakes rematches are an interesting game of chess in college football. Who can adapt the best who can adapt off the adaptations? That's what a lot of this comes down to, okay? Here's the other thing. This kicking situation has me on edge. Door has missed a field goal in every game going back to and including Clemson. I'm not going to nail him for that one because it was extraordinarily long. The kick was good and true. Just didn't have the yardage. His misses since then have been miss hits. Not even close. Lame ducks off to the right like a bad drive on a Sunday morning when you're hungover on number one tee. Okay? It's making me nervous. If we lose a playoff game or the ACC championship game because a kicker shanks one, I am going to be deceased. I will not, my body will not be able to handle the repercussions of that. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. But these misses have not even been close. They're not even in the zip code of the uprights. So I don't know what's going on there. I just hope it's fixed. Okay, let's go over some other uh, news scores and notes of interest. One is, I couldn't be happier what happened to Miami getting totally exposed and boat raced by North Carolina um, for multiple reasons. It raises the profile of Notre D- what Notre Dame was able to do defensively against North Carolina. It really raises the profile of our win against them. It exposes Miami for being complete and total frauds, which is great. The other reason I like it is 
Miami was Clemson's biggest win, and now it's in the toilet. So to me, they have no big win. They lost to Notre Dame. They beat Miami, who proved to be nothing. So who's Clemson beat? Boston College? Is that their best win? So all those dynamics help Notre Dame, and I like them. And I just can't get over what front runners Miami is. No fan base talks more shit on the internet than Miami. And the thing with them is you can't even have a football argument with them. It's all personal. F you, F touchdown Jesus, F your whole family. You can't even have a football debate with that trash fan base. It all just goes to vulgar insults. So they're all about running their mouths. They lose. None of them can take any of the heat. They're all blocking me on Twitter for calling them out. Here's how bad it is. All these teams have, you know, Notre Dame's football Twitter account. They kind of have to put out when the game's over, final score, blah, 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 see you next week, whatever it is. Miami did that. So many people were in the comments ripping them like me. Miami's actual Miami University's football account blocked people from commenting on the final score tweet they put out. That is a move so cowardice. I have never seen another college Twitter account literally not let people interact when they tweet the final score. That's how fragile they are. That's how weak-minded they are. That's how much of a fraud fan base they are. They're only good as front runners. Talk all the trash on the front end. When it doesn't go their way, they run and hide. Can't take it. I've been blocked by 20 Miami people, and I'm not even able to comment on the final score of their game. Total trash, top to bottom, 100%. They're garbage. They're nothing. I'm glad they got exposed as nothing. Talking about other things that's a total joke, LSU, they have all those violations from what happened for the team that would eventually end up winning the championship. So what do they do with their violations? After going three and five, they self-imposed a bowl ban for this year. After going three and five, that's their self-punishment they're allowed to give themselves is not playing a bowl game this year with a three and five record. And the NCAA is going to let them go along with this as their punishment. What a total joke. Listen, guys, cheating's totally worth it in the NCAA unless you're Notre Dame. Unless you're Notre Dame, you could get away with murder, slap yourself on the wrist, total joke, and they're okay with it. So, I just wanted to mention what an absolute disgrace the NCAA is as an organization for letting LSU cheat their way to a championship and then self-impose a bowl ban when they're three and five. Total joke. UCF's great quarterback, Milton, who had that terrible leg injury last year, he rehabbed. He's transferring to Florida State. What their quarterback room looks like next year, I don't know. But this is noteworthy because Notre Dame opens up next year in Tallahassee against Florida State. Something to keep in mind. Jim Harbaugh, staying, going, I don't know. Apparently, there's a three-year deal on the table for less money a lot of incentives to get that money back, but a less base salary. He doesn't know whether he wants to do that or go to the NFL. I don't know, but here's what I don't get. How does Harbaugh end up with all the leverage when he hasn't accomplished any big picture goals? And it's all like, we're sitting here waiting. The ball's in his court, all this stuff. I just hate how these institutions get backed into a corner with no leverage when it appears to me they should have the leverage over a guy who hasn't gotten done what they thought he would get done. 
What's going to happen with Harbaugh? I don't know, but it has to come down soon before this early recruiting signing day period, which is a mere days away. So I expect an outcome with that shortly, okay? And I'm going to finish with this. Florida's loss to LSU is an example of why games matter and have to be played. That's a perfect example of why you can't just let Ohio State go 6-0 and and then we just pencil in five more imaginary wins. Nobody thought they were going to lose to Purdue on that Thursday night a couple years ago, and they got boat raced out of the joint. So that, that Florida LSU game is a good reminder this year of why games still have to be played no matter what the eye test tells you, okay? So I guess let's finish with this. 2020's weird. It's been weird. Let's make it more weird. Go ahead and win yourself a championship. How about that? These opportunities are so rare. Go win yourself a title. Win three more games. Find a way. Let's go.